This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on Zoomer Radio. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Weekend Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. There aren't enough people, and then often what happens as well is there's a backlog sometimes if there aren't enough beds uh, upstairs, so patients end up staying in the emergency department and the beds are all blocked and then yeah. when there's bed block you can't bring new people in and so that delays the new people from getting evaluated by a doctor as well. This week we saw two discouraging reports on wait times in Canada's healthcare system. One deals with getting care in emergency rooms in the GTA. The other says that compared to people in other countries, Canadians have a hard time getting same or next day appointments with a family doctor. I'll talk to Kathleen Morris of the Canadian Institute for Health Information. Plus, this week, CARP welcomed a new vice president of advocacy. Today, I'll chat with Wanda Morris and ask what challenges she's excited and ready to tackle in her new role. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. We are all Jews. That's U.S. President Barack Obama in his speech to mark International Holocaust Remembrance Day. Across the world on Wednesday, people paused to mourn the six million Jews murdered by the Nazis. The day, which has been marked each year since 2005, falls on the anniversary of the liberation of the Auschwitz-Birkenau death camp in Poland. When older adults are forced to stop driving, it can impact both their physical and mental health. That's according to new research from Columbia University. The work analyzed the findings of 16 different studies on drivers over 55 who were forced off the roads. They discovered that older adults experienced faster declines in both cognitive function and physical health after they stopped driving. The researchers also associated the end of driving with a 51% reduction in the size of social networks of friends and relatives. After 57 years, Barbie is being redesigned to look more like a natural woman. Mattel Incorporated, the maker of the plastic doll beloved of little girls across the world, announced that it will start selling Barbies in three new body types, tall, curvy, and petite. She'll also come in seven skin tones, 22 eye colors, and 24 hairstyles. This isn't the first time Barbie has changed to reflect the modern woman. Just over a year ago, Mattel had Barbie kick off her heels and wear flats for the first time. This week, we said goodbye to actor Abe Vigoda, famous for his roles in The Godfather and various television programs. In The Godfather, Vigoda played Sal Tessio, an old friend of Don Corleone, 
who plots to take over the family business. Things didn't end well for his character on screen, but off screen, the role brought him lots of acclaim and attention. It led him to another well known role, Detective Phil Fish, in the 1970s TV series Barney Miller. Abe Vigoda was married twice and is survived by a daughter from his first marriage, two grandchildren, and a great grandson. He was 94. I'm Libby Snymer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. There's new leadership at CARP, a new vision of aging. Wanda Morris is the incoming vice president of advocacy and chief operating officer. You probably know her from her work with Dying with Dignity on the issue of physician-assisted death. In addition to a strong track record on advocacy all the way up to the Supreme Court, Wanda is really nice. I sat down with her when she came in to meet her staff and check out her new home here at the Zoomerplex. I'm tremendously excited about the opportunity. I had a chance to meet the CARP staff this morning. What a great group. I've had a chance to, to meet some of the chapters over my years as uh, CEO of Dying with Dignity Canada. Really excited to work with, with the volunteers and the staff. I'll be working closely with, obviously, our president, Moses Neimer, to, to nail it exactly where we want to start. But uh, CARP has identified a number of critical priorities. Uh, of course, the Canada Pension Plan, uh, there's discussion about reforming that, and CARP will have a major voice there. And there's a number of critical health issues. Uh, physician-assisted dying is, of course, top of the agenda. But right along with that, we need to talk about better home care and palliative care right across the country. Mm-hmm. Now, you come from... Dying with dignity, and you have experience in putting an issue like that at the center of the national agenda. How uh, are you going to use that experience, or how is that going to play into the things you take on at CARB? Well, I, I think uh, I've had a lot of deep experience with the uh, Dying with Dignity campaign and legalizing physician assisted dying. But it's also made me aware of, of the breadth of issues we have in health. So I'd like to take some of the campaigning experience I have and use that to apply to a broader range of health issues. Uh, I'm also an accountant by training. Uh, so CARP is a, a real supporter of, of financial reform, pension reform, investor protection. And I'm excited to uh, use those parts of my skill set and, and help advocate there as well. One of the issues that CARP in the past has taken on has been elder abuse, and a big part of elder abuse is uh, elder financial abuse. You know, I, I think in, in so many ways, health and finance for seniors are the top two issues. And, and you're right, we can't really look at them separately in many cases. I mean, on the one hand, we want to make sure that, that nobody makes decisions about their health care um, because of financial desperation. Uh, and on the other, we want to make sure that when seniors have, you know, carefully saved uh, and done everything to secure retirement, that they're protected in their retirement and, and not somehow preyed upon. Many membership organizations have challenges when you're dealing with volunteers. Uh, you have experience with that as well. You know, I'm I'm in awe of the CARP chapter network at Dying with Dignity. When I started, we didn't have chapters. We now, uh, I think, have 15 of them, and it's been really exciting to work with these, you know, incredible volunteers. I have met some of the chapter folks across the country, really excited to get to, to know them better and to partner with them to make our, our advocacy efforts more effective. We can do 
some amazing things from head office, but that's going to pale compared to what we can do as a national organization with grassroots volunteers and supporters. Do you have any lessons that you've come away with in uh, engaging volunteers and, and keeping them engaged? Uh, I, I think one of the things that we always said at Dying with Dignity Canada is, you know, we're an organization that believes in choice, and that really permeated everything that we did. And I think it's important at the chapter level as well. Uh, so a key thing about getting people engaged is giving them an opportunity to shape what that engagement looks like. What are the key issues they want to be involved in? How do they want their involvement to take shape? And, and I would see using that same model here. In terms of uh Political advocacy. Uh, we now have a new government, of course, and uh, you know, in some ways, that that has to be starting from ground zero, just dealing with a whole new group of people. Do you have any thoughts on that? I'm really excited to see some of the initiatives that the government has taken on, um, and uh, definitely, I think. One of the critical things we can do is be an ally to government and recognize that, uh, f for the very most part, our um, our intentions are aligned. Governments are here to you know provide necessary social services you know, as cost effectively as possible. And what I hope to do is is be a partner and a resource for them. Is there a difference there? Uh, you know, positioning yourself as an ally as opposed to, you know, always uh, demanding different things. Well, and it's it's very interesting, you know, five years ago at Dying with Dignity, I, I remember my very first uh, presentation to a parliamentary committee. They didn't want me to appear. They couldn't wait for me to be done, you know, and, and now here we are getting ready to um, provide information to the uh, special joint committee on physician-assisted dying. I think a big part of it, yeah, is going into a meeting and saying, how can we help you? What do you want to tell our listeners who are CARP members or are thinking about becoming CARP members? I think you've got a tremendous opportunity as CARP members. I mean, first of all, thank you for your CARP membership. And I'm so excited to see the information, the feedback from CARP that, you know, we joined because of the, um, the travel benefits, but really we stay for the advocacy. Uh, so sit tight because we are going to do that advocacy. I'm, I'm excited about the CARP model. I think... Uh, it's you know, tied to Zoomer Media, which is a tremendous resource. There's a super creative business model where the membership is virtually free because of the benefits. Now I think we can take advocacy to a new level, um, start to give people an opportunity to, to campaign, uh, donate, help support CARP financially. I'm really excited for what the future holds. Okay. Wanda Morris, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Wanda Morris will start her duties officially in mid-February. I'm Libby Snymer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. One issue that will always need addressing is health care. This week, two new studies came up with alarming information on how long Canadians have to wait, both during emergency room visits and when making appointments to see their family doctor. Kathleen Morris from the Canadian Institute for Health Information will join me next. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Well, Wanda Morris just talked about taking on broader issues in our healthcare system, and the findings of two reports out this week show that she has her work cut out for her. First, the Canadian Institute for Health Information found that very few patients who need critical care in Greater Toronto emergency rooms are getting treatment within an acceptable wait period. Then, an international study of family doctors 
found that patients here face longer waits than in nine other countries, including the U.S., Great Britain, and the Netherlands. Only half of Canadians can get a same or next-day appointment with their family doctor, and it takes much longer to get in to see a specialist or get diagnostic tests like CT scans. I reached Kathleen Morris, no relation, at the CIHI. The survey looked at the opinion of family doctors around how the health system was performing, and they looked at access to care, coordination of care, use of electronic records to improve care, all things that are really important. And we found that on 19 of the 28 measures, uh, Canada actually performed below uh, international average. Only slightly over half of primary care doctors say that that almost all of their patients can get a same-day or a next-day appointment if they want it. So half of all patients can't. That's right. It's improved a bit since 2009 when the number was 39%, so we're headed in the right direction. Uh, Some provinces are faring a little bit better as well. Ontario has close to two-thirds of the patients able to get a same or next-day appointment. Not at my doctor's office. Mm -hmm. And it's still below the international average, uh, which is, you know, in the high 80s. Do you know why that is? There's a number of different reasons. One one question that always comes up is, do we need more family doctors? Uh, And what we see from the data is that there's really no connection between the number of doctors in a country and how quickly they can get access. But there are some things that make a difference. One of them might be scheduling. Family doctors are working hard to understand uh, how much time they should allocate for planned appointments, like an annual physical, uh, compared to unplanned uh, things that just pop up. And really the key is to get the balance right between those types of appointments. What if you need a doctor after hours? Most Canadians have trouble getting that anywhere other than a hospital emergency department. And we just saw in another set of numbers that uh, it's taking too long to be seen in an emergency department. Mm -hmm. And this is probably one reason why. So about half of Canadian family doctors thought that their patients had problems getting access to after-hours care. Is that just a function of the way that the practices are organized that uh, doctors are unwilling to work after hours? Many provinces are looking at uh, ways to reform primary health care and some are providing incentives uh, to physicians uh, to provide more after hours care and Ontario certainly has seen a big jump uh, and again close to two-thirds of the patients uh, report now that they have an option for after hours care. Another problem is access to diagnostic imaging. So. of doctors say their patients have to wait too long to get a CT scan, an MRI, or a mammogram. Mm -hmm. Is that because there aren't enough machines? Is that because they're not being scheduled properly? I think that it's not a single answer, and it's one that that there's a lot of effort being put into reducing those wait times, and it really hasn't, um, hasn't paid off in the same way it has in other areas. Okay, so you've got your scans. Now you need an appointment with the specialist, uh, Mm -hmm. and we really do poorly in terms of wait times for the specialists. 70% of these doctors said that their patients have long wait times to see a specialist. Yeah, and that's the worst of all of the countries that were included in the survey. And again, a reason for that? You know, some of it may be connected to some of the other areas that we looked at in the survey, which were around coordination of care and the ability to... um, 
use computerized systems to try and facilitate quick information flow. Uh, so I think, you know, still a lot of the referrals that happen from family doctors to specialists are actually paper-based or mm-hmm. faxed over and, you know, are in a pile and then need to be entered. Based on what you found in this survey, uh, what are the priorities going forward? One of the potential solutions is the adoption of electronic medical records. Uh, Many doctors now have them in their office, and then the next step will be really making sure that we're using that information to its fullest potential. The great benefit of this kind of work is really understanding that uh, that there are opportunities to learn from other countries. And which countries on what subject do you think we should take a lesson from? We know that um, the Netherlands, Switzerland, Germany all have relatively short wait times. We know that in New Zealand, uh, nobody's waiting a long time uh, as a family doctor to get information from specialists or hospitals. Uh, and we know in terms of uh, implementation of electronic health records, uh, in Sweden, they're at 99%. Uh, The United Kingdom has 98%. I think that there are um, lessons to be learned, not always from the same country, but that's okay. I think we can be uh, shoppers for best practices from around the world. Okay. On that note, we'll wrap things up. Kathleen Morris, thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Kathleen Morris is with the Canadian Institute for Health Information. I'm Libby Snymer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. And this week, we lost another great artist from the Zoomer generation. In just a moment, we'll return to pay tribute to Paul Kantner from Jefferson Airplane. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Welcome back to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Zneimer. It's time for your international art state book tips for those of you who are jetting around the world. Here's Jane Brown. In New York City, the story of two teens who get wrapped up in the writings of American poet Walt Whitman is the focus of a stage production called I and You. It's directed by Sean Daniels at 59E59 Theatre. In Los Angeles, it's a takeoff of the 2006 hit comedy The Devil Wears Prada, starring Meryl Streep. The unauthorized musical parody of The Devil Wears Prada is at the Rockwell table and stage. To London, England, where the prolific diversity of two of the most significant designers of the last century is on display at the Barbican Art Gallery. The world of Charles and Ray Eames celebrates and explores the couple's work in the fields of graphics, architecture, furniture, film, sculpture, and photography. And the biggest exhibition of Holocaust art outside Israel is now on display in Berlin. The exhibition at the German Historical Museum features 100 works from Yad Vashem, which were created by Jewish inmates in concentration camps, labor camps, and ghettos. Of the 50 artists featured, 24 were killed by the Nazis. I'm Jane Brown, and that's the International Arts Datebook. This week, we lost another musical luminary. Paul Kantner, the guitarist and co-founder of the psychedelic rock group Jefferson Airplane, passed away at the age of 74. 
Jefferson Airplane hailed from San Francisco. Formed in 1965, the group pioneered both the counterculture and psychedelic rock scene. The group performed at three of the biggest American music festivals of the 60s, Monterey, Woodstock, and Altamont, as well as headlining the first Isle of Wight Festival in the UK. The band broke up in 1972, but Paul Kantner and some of the other members formed a new group, Jefferson Starship. Kantner remained with Jefferson Starship for the rest of his music career, but he never had a hit as big as the ones featured on Jefferson Airplane's sophomore album, Surrealistic Pillow. It had two giants, White Rabbit and Somebody to Love. When the truth is found to be That was Jefferson Airplane with Somebody to Love. Their co-founder and guitarist Paul Kantner passed away this week at the age of 74. And that brings us to the end of another edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Thanks for joining me today. Be sure to come back next week when we learn about new training for the police to deal with an aging population. You've been listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, produced by MZ Media Limited. Executive producer, Moses Neimer. Produced by Paul Thomas. This has been an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review. Heard every Sunday at noon on Zoomer Radio. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network. Home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.